Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast and radio show, the Compassionate Capitalist show, as you know from listening in the past, for those who are listening or watching now on YouTube, this is, uh, you know, our whole thing here is about giving entrepreneurs and investors the information they need so that they can successfully chart a plan, a strategy to build successful businesses that can sustain and grow and scale and become profitable. And the investors that are investing in those have the the knowledge they need to be able to make wise investments, but also to also help those companies navigate it as they they need to in order to achieve the, the results that they want in, to create the wealth that comes out of compassionate capitalists, being a compassionate capitalist and investing that way. And so one of the things that's been a hot topic right now, it's in the press probably every day, okay? And that is our current job market. And what is going on with the economy as we start to pull ourselves out of the pandemic and the economic downturn that our our economy went through, all the people that stayed home, all the people that were laid off, all the people that were deferred, all that. And then now as companies come back into it and they're ramping back up, there appears to be a labor shortage out there. And although the job, I just saw the job report that says that they were expecting a million jobs, there's only 200 and something thousand new jobs. So we're still not you know, offering enough jobs, I guess, to get back to where we were in the economy before. But even bigger is this help wanted signs and things that are happening. And there's a lot of dynamics of a natural sort of free market change to upscale the salaries. There's a lot of impact with um, who's in the marketplace, who's not in the marketplace for jobs, who's available for those kind of jobs, what kind of jobs are available. And so it just so happens I have a leading industry expert on the show with me today, Christine Wong Rambo. Say wave and say hello and I'll introduce her to be a part of this conversation because I don't think there's anybody out there that can really tell us what the real scoop is. When she and I started, we, we met on another online webinar. We got together through LinkedIn. We had a conversation and I just had all these little bells and whistles going off that said, oh my God, I because ha- anybody has been on this, listening to the show for a while knows I get little goosies when it comes to economic stuff. And so she was, Christine was like talking my, singing my song. Okay, and so let me tell you about Christine. So Christine is a certified international. Actually, let me see. Let me let me say this all correctly. Right. So she is a certified international economic development council. That's IEDC and certified economic developer. That's what makes her extremely qualified. But even more so than that, she's an award-winning, experienced, effective economic development, marketing, communications, and branding professional with nearly 30 years of experience. 
Christine has a proven record of positioning organizations and communities for growth using effective marketing strategies, strategic management tactics, comprehensive branding, and digital social media strategies. She's recruited economic development projects to communities and helped communities to grow and expand through her economic expertise and insights into things that they can do. Uh, you know, little known kind of, of uh, fact is that, you know, she, prior to entering in economic development, Christine worked for 12 years as an award-winning anchor for KTBS. It's an ABC affiliate in Shreveport, Louisiana, where she still lives down in, in Louisiana, and KNOE, a CBS affiliate in Monroe, Louisiana. And she earned three Louisiana Associated Press's awards for her feature reporting investigative journalism and National Radio Television Digital News Association Award. And she has her own company. Her company that she started is Upsize MS, Upsize Marketing Strategies. The website is upsizems.com that you're gonna definitely wanna go to and if you check out the show notes, we're going to show some, we're going to have some visual aids today too. And you're going to get to see those in probably on the blog page, but, uh, or if you're on blog talk radio, you can see it in the visual art display that they show, but you're going to want to go to her website to get more information. Um, when we're all done with this. So officially welcome, Christine. Thank you so much for being a guest on the compassionate capitalist show. Thank you, Karen. Thanks. Uh, I appreciate that plug that I'm going to get the big <laughs> head after this. Yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, and it's been a pleasure talking with you about economic development. It's one of my passions. Yeah. Um, and definitely, you know, you asked me earlier, how did I go from broadcast journalism into economic development? Well, like so many of my colleagues, you kind of fall into it, you know, because it's not one of those highlighted careers like doctors, lawyers, firemen, police officers that, you know, you have a career fair and, and, and walk into and say, hey, I want to do that. Um, but what happened with me is like so many other economic developers with a communications background, you're using those presentation skills to sell your community, your region, to try to recruit businesses to come and locate there. Um, and as a certified economic developer, you're not an economist. I kind of liken us to more like we're the engineers of the economy, whereas economists they deal in theory and economic models. We're the boots on the ground. We're working with companies to try to get them to grow and help them to grow. We're working with our legislators to try to um, knock down some of those barriers to, to that inhibit economic growth. We're working with companies to help them recruit workforce. Our, uh, we work with workforce partners to help try to upskill our labor force because in the new economy, it's the real resource is the human capital. And I know that is a passion of yours to talk about, you know, our human capital. And um, we have gone through so many stages of our economy, you know, starting with the first industrial revolution back in the late 1700s, when we moved away from hand crafted items to using steam power to start using simple machines to begin mass producing. 
Then moving into the second industrial revolution where we've electrified our factories and have an assembly line and really get into mass producing goods. Um, then in the late 2000s, in the late 20th century, we began what was called the third industrial revolution, really with the mass use of computers and, um, and the growth of the internet and automation. But what is interesting now is every prior industrial revolution has lasted centuries, right? A century or more. But now we're on the precipice of what's called the fourth industrial revolution, which in just a short span of two decades, we're now standing at a fundamental change of our economy. What the fourth industrial revolution means is that we're the barriers between the uh, technological, biological, and physical world are dissolving, they're merging together. Hence, we have gotten uh, artificial intelligence, the internet of things, uh, so much more mass automation than we've ever had before. And it's really mind boggling, the speed of that change. And I think that's why so many people are very scared and nervous as we move into this fourth industrial revolution. Because if you don't have a certain uh, skill sets, that including digital skills, you may become obsolete in the new workforce. And that's a really scary proposition, Karen. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that is definitely one of those contributing factors to the skill. It's not, it's a job gap, but it's, it's really due to a skill gap because as the needs of, of companies, and, and we'll get into this because we talked a little bit in our, our call when we were chatting before is about manufacturing has changed so much. One, you don't need as many people because there is so much automation, but the people that work there aren't just people that are moving something from here to there kind of a thing and being, because they have robots to do that now, there are people that are augmenting what the robots do to make sure the robots do it right, you know, and complete the task. That's right, and so, that's right. Right, and that's a different skill right. set. And right. I'm not I sure our schools are really doing, and, and the people that are displaced out of that where do they go get those skills, right? So let's let's talk about those, get into some of that stuff, right? So right. let's talk, let's go through this because I, I want to start with the discovery that you shared with me in our population growth that just came out of the census. And, and there may be a slight, you know, variation of, of error because, you know, they, they stuck, they struggled with getting the um, so many people out there to actually knock on the doors versus the ones that, you know, I don't know, maybe you've got those, those stats on what was the, the, the participation. We don't really know because it's only every 10 years. And in 10 years ago, they didn't do, you know, a 800 number call in or go online and click this form and put in this stuff. They didn't have the automation that they did this time. And it was very dependent on people knocking on doors. But this time we didn't have the people knocking on doors because right. of the pandemic. So, right. exactly. you know, talk about like, you got a chart up for those that are watching on YouTube. Um, uh, Christine has put up a chart that is really stunning when you look at the decline in uh, the U.S. I'm just describe this for the listeners, a decline in the U.S. population for decades going from 1790 to 2020, and then the participation in the workforce of adult able-bodied people to be able to participate in the workforce. So describe, uh, make it, describe what, you're, what we're looking at here and the, and yes. the impact and the significance of it. 
Yes. So Karen, you're absolutely right. There are some states that are disputing the outcome of the 2020 census because of the effects of the pandemic. However, what's undisputable is the continual gradual decline over, over decades. So even if you were to dispute this 7.4% population growth, it's historic. This is a historic trend. You know, this has been happening since World War II, uh, since the, the, the baby boomers, and we've seen a gradual decline in population growth. So 7.4% is the population growth from the last census, which was uh, 2010 to the most recent census, which was last year. But as you can see, you know, that has been the evolution of our society over the years as families delay childbirth, as, as more women head into the workforce and delay having children, the number of children have fallen over the years, but it's also a, a signal to how our economies change from agrarian-based uh, economy where you did need a lot of children to help work the farm to one in which it's uh, based on uh, high skills and knowledge and education. And that education is progressively more and more expensive to come by. The cost of raising children has skyrocketed because higher education costs have skyrocketed. So we're having less children because frankly, we can't afford to have as large a family as we once did. The you, the spending power of the dollar is not where it was. You know, our wages have not kept up with the rate of inflation. So all of that means a slower population increase. But what does that mean for our U.S. economy, which is largely service-based? And on the macro level, mm -hmm. uh, we know that our gross domestic product is driven by population. And as our population starts to slowly decline over the decades, you know, does that mean that our productivity slowly declines? Now, we've been able to stave off that decline in productivity because of our technology, because we've automated so many parts of our uh, economy. But at some point, you know, the rubber's going to meet the road, right? And I want to show this second part of my chart. And this is the workforce participation rate. This is the civilian labor force participation rate. And uh, I pulled it from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. And this too, if you, for those of you that can see this, the red line is the total uh, U.S. workforce participation rate, and it shows a slow decline. This large dip is right when the pandemic hit and we had to close down uh, the economy. Uh, but what labor force participation rate means is that of the able-bodied people that can work 16 and over, what percentage is actually participating in the workforce, actually working in jobs or seeking jobs? Um, and we've seen that slowly decline because as baby boomers age, they're leaving the workforce, they're retiring. Oh, early. sure. Mm -hmm. So that's our baby boomer bell that they've, you know, they've been talking for a long time about how this, you know, this big 
bu big bubble of population yeah. is going to move through and eventually, you know, go, it's already happening. Out of it. Yeah, yeah. So then you have have less, but it would seem and that so that's a contributing factor because as Absolutely. people are aging out, you now have you don't have you need somebody else to be a, a greeter at Walmart, you know, and <laughs> or yeah. someone else to run the factories. You know, they bring yeah. with them uh, or they leave taking with them a huge amount of institutional knowledge at the factories, at their mm -hmm. organizations, and you know. But yeah. that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Right, guys. Like, yeah, um, but you know, this, but really, you know, what is worrisome to so many employers out there is how do we replace that huge population of workers, the baby boomers? Um, how do you attract the millennial workforce, which now makes up the largest segment of the workforce population, who, unlike their predecessors, the Generation X and the baby boomers, they come with them a completely different set of values and different meaning to the word work. You know, they're not going to be tied to a nine to five job or actually in the, the former generations was maybe more like a 10 hour day. They're ready to quit when the, the bell rings and they're ready to live a, create a more work-life balance. Yes. But once again, that's, that's the subject of another podcast too. Well, I so, do have a question though about mm -hmm. this chart since this is yes. based off of jobs, right? And the over for those, it's, it's covers a 20 year period from 2001 to 2021. And is yes. just a, a steady kind of decline. What would people working this shift for people not being W two but being ten ninety nines or the gig economy people having you know multiple little businesses that they're running themselves so they don't have a job job would they also would they be they yes. would, would be counted in these numbers oh or yeah not absolutely in these they are counted in this participate workforce participation rate um, because they're filing yeah. taxes they're filing so, taxes that's okay. correct. Okay. That's correct. So okay, they are good. being counted. So this trend, you know, kind of lines up with our population trend too. It does. So yeah. So what's worrisome is as our population is slowly declining, that also means the number of workers are slowly declining, but the workforce participation rate is slowly declining. So that's like a double whammy for our economy, right? Um, so even of the smaller percentage of workforce, less people are interested in working. Um, so what is worrisome to me as a woman is that the rate of workforce participation for women have started declining. We, in 2020, women have started participating in the workforce at record numbers, whereas we were holding 50% of the jobs. And then the pandemic hit and that drove women out of the economy in a much greater disproportionate impact than men. And we're not coming back as as quickly as the other demographics are coming back. Yeah. So these different lines show different groups. Um, this orange line is Hispanic and Latino. This light blue line is Asian. Um, this red line is the overall population. This baby blue line way in the back is kind of uh, overshadowed by this darker line uh, that is uh, 
whites. This line here is African-American, but way down here are women. So the worrisome thing to me is if we cannot develop family-friendly policies, does this permanently inhibit women from coming back into the workforce when we need them so desperately? Yeah. Um, you know, we're looking at, you know, this pandemic has really re revealed a lot of vulnerabilities in the way our economy has been structured and a society has been structured, Karen. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, well, most go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just, it's also interesting to note that where the other gray bar is, that's about when the Great Recession was hitting, right? Yes. It was correct. like leading, and, and so women were on the rise, gaining on the other, um, you know, ethnic groups or other classifications where they're kind of going down and women were rising. And then after that, everybody dropped, but everybody else started to recover and women didn't start recovering until really 2019. Yeah. And, uh, you and know, it's we're not as... ticking and then it's all yeah. dropped down again right. in 2020. Right. And so it's, women are not as recovering from the effects of the pandemic quite as fast as the other demographic groups. Um, that disproportionate impact of the pandemic is due to are uh, there is no social uh, support anymore for families. You know, that goes back to the transition of our society from where everybody kind of stayed around grandma, grandpa, mom and dad. And there was this family structure of support to watch the kids. Well, as society has become more and more mobile, you know, we've moved away from that family support structure and we're looking to childcare and nannies and other forms of family support. Well, during the pandemic, quality childcare centers were closing, closing permanently because the, the reduced number of capacity restrictions just didn't support their business model. Mm -hmm. um, and also, you know, schools shut down. So we went to remote learning, but you know, when you have young children, you know, remote learning can't happen without a, a parent there turning on the internet and forcing them to attend their classes and learn their lessons. And that disproportionately fell to women. And because of, and many, you know, as the breakup of the nuclear family, many women head up households too. So, um, you know, that in a nutshell kind of, uh, is a microcosm of how our society and mm -hmm. our economy has really changed over the last century. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, and if you, you know, when you look at the cost of health, you know, of, of healthcare, as well as the cost of, um, of childcare, you know, childcare uh, on average from people that I know that look for it, it's at least $1,000 a month. Sometimes it's $1,000 a week. Right. And so Depending you have to have, that. you're not making minimum wage and paying yeah. that. It's right. better to stay right. home because you can't afford the childcare because you make less than what the childcare costs. Exactly. And so, you know, that's, um, that's a, a really big issue. If we're going to have full participation of, um, you know, women in the workforce. And it's one of those things too, 
where they always talk about this discrepancy in wage. Well, one of the contributing factors is that women most often are the ones that are chosen within a household to stay at home with the kids when they're little. And that takes them out of the natural stair-step progression of income in a corporate setting or just in the workforce as they you know, gain more experience because they've you know, got this chunk of time, at least you know, five to six years that they get into pre-K, that they haven't continued to progress at whereas the males will have progressed so they've got five years seniority on somebody that had originally you know maybe been hired at the same time and so when you look at that there's a frustration there as well and you know unless you go back and get some additional skills which i think leads into one of the contributing things um you know there's this debate on whether this this the continuation of the stimulus package is a, a factor and i and i'm uh, I, i'm of the belief that it is a factor for the um, the service industry that has notoriously been very low paid, they don't pay this the recommended fifteen dollars an hour. We have a few of them now that are stepping up that you know like right. a Starbucks and you know right. some of these ones that are and uh, I think it was. Uh, Chipotle or something like that, we're going to, you know, start paying $15 an hour as uh, an entry level, or sometimes they advertise that, but it's really sort of uh, a lead into the door, but starting out, it might be 10, but you can get up to 15 in six months. And if you stick around kind of a thing, and, you know, so I think that some of the stuff that happened, because um, what I've heard from people is that they have um, elected to take that money because they went, they went home, they just stayed, they, they went back and lived with the parents. So they didn't have rent because it, you know, the, that $1,200 extra a month um, is really kind of, that's before taxes is really about what the cheapest rent you can get around any major Metro in the U S um, I know where I live that doesn't even get you a one bedroom apartment in a decent neighborhood, you know? And so it's, uh, and so, the, but they use that to go and do online learning to get another sort of get a certification in something to go back and start, you know, going to a tech school and get different skills. And maybe some of these skills, like you were talking that you were referencing that are part of the fourth, you know, wave, you know, cause why would I want to go and work for $2.50 an hour plus tips you know, in a, as a critical worker, right. Uh, not, you know, that's, I can't live on that. I do that plus another job. Instead, I'm going to take this time and get something that's going to get me a 15, 20, $25 an hour wage. And then I don't have to be in the workplace doing those service jobs. And I think that's a, that's definitely um, a fact we'll find out right here in the next couple of months, if that's really the case. But you also, I think it's great that the free enterprise system with the federal government announcing that they're going to have a $15 minimum wage, that's, you know, is a, and if the infrastructure bill gets passed, then we're going to have all of that work that's going to get done on, on our water infrastructure, our, our telecommunications, our, uh, our, our bridges and roads and transportation and everything else is uh, going to be at $15 an hour. Well, that's going to be a huge draw for a portion of the population that may not have had a lot of other skills to be able to step into jobs like that, get some on-the-job training, get some additional tech training, and you know, start onto a new career path. And there's, I think there's that, and that it's going to be a natural evolution that we may not 
you know, in a lot of states like California, New York, and uh, I think Colorado, Oregon, a bunch of them on the recent last election in, in uh, 2020 passed referendums for $15 minimum wage. And now it, it's phased in. It takes five years to get there. But, you know, there's a lot of states that are saying this is what it's going to be. So that uh, it'll be, you know, interesting to see how that plays out with participation right. in the workforce. And I think many of these corporate leaders that are moving to a $15 minimum are doing it not a not necessarily out of the goodness of their hearts, yeah. but really out of necessity. Because prior mm-hmm. to the pandemic, we were at what economists call zero unemployment. It was about 4% or lower. And that's practically, you know, if you wanted a job, you could get a job. Um, but I pointed to the workforce participation that wasn't as high as required to, for the, uh, an economy that was booming. Um, and what was interesting to note, even during the Great Recession, there were plenty of job openings, but job openings for people with the right skills. So that goes to what we've been talking about earlier about the skills gap. So it's just not enough to have a warm body in front of you know, a desk or an assembly line. You have to come with the right skill sets. Um, and that skill set is not being met. In so many communities, there's not enough industrial skills nor digital skills, skills across the board. Um, and, and it's interesting that you know over the the years we have pushed people into four-year higher education right whether they were fit for it or not but that was where we were parents were telling people like their children go get a four-year degree because i don't want you working in this hot dirty sweaty factory (laughs) like i am and your granddad before you me but um the reality is that not everybody needs to go to get a four-year degree, but rather maybe a two-year associate's degree in an industrial trade coming out, making maybe more than someone starting off with a four-year degree. And we need those industrial skills. And and, And the work, the manufacturing environment is so different than what was going on during this second industrial revolution where it was uh, simple machines. And now, as you mentioned, Karen, everything is computerized. It's, it's more, much, much more automated. You need so many more uh, engineers. You need so many more people that have uh, uh, process technology degrees um, and, and things that require maybe only a two-year degree, or even in some cases, a certificate program. So um, I think a real acknowledgement of this need to, to really um, upskill our entire workforce at every level is uh, President Biden's um, proposal of the American Jobs Plan, yeah. which um, would make a two-year college, uh, community college education free. Right. Because we recognize that, you know, our, the, there are many, many manufacturers still left in America. America still are making products. Um, 
but we're not making the workers for those manufacturing um, you know, uh, organizations and factories now. Um, so we really need to go back and look at the way we're training our workers. Um, and part of the American Jobs Bill is uh, a couple, 100 million, I believe, for schools. But the thing is, do are those schools producing the workers for the future? You know, are the way are, is the way we're educating the future workforce the most appropriate way for the fourth industrial revolution? Yeah, Be, because I, there's a, a statistic that says that of those students that are currently in school right now, entering school, 65% of them will be working in jobs that aren't even created yet. Right. I know. They we always, the statistics always amaze me, and it's true. It always comes yeah. through. Yeah. We don't even know what type of jobs will be created in the next few years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how can, you know, our education system adapt to that when they're not even know who, what type of job they're training for? Right. So what they really have to do instead of moving away from that rote learning you know, two plus two is four. And, you know, and our multiplication tables, the way we learned it, we just memorized the, the multiplication yeah, tables. New math we, is, <laughs> I don't know. Is that really like, that's the, it's, it's a little scary. I know I had to do that with my, my son going through <laughs> common core. I, I had to relearn a new way of figuring out how two times two yeah. equals four instead of just memorizing it. it. <laughs> but what it did was it forced real <laughs> comprehension and it's forced we really have to create uh creative thinkers and creative learners that's one of the basic skills that this new economy is demanding is creative yeah. creativity and critical thinking critical, critical thinking. thinking yes creativity and critical thinking yeah and problem skills. solving problem solving yes, problem solving absolutely yeah. mm-hmm. and you can't do that just by memorizing something yeah so right. you truly have to be creative um, so how does that educator do that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So th- there needs to be real discussion about how we train the workforce of the future. Well, and, and also- just, just throwing money at the problem doesn't really solve it. No, you have to, yeah. there needs to be a, you know, a, a match that says these are the, at least right now, cause we have this shortage and this, you know, where they're going and every, cause even when it comes to like things that are necessary, like laying cable, right? They're going to put new cable in to, to create digital access right. throughout the country and everywhere, right? Well, I know where I am, which is just outside of, of a major metro in Atlanta, when they come, they, they don't have the workers to lay cables because all those guys that actually knew how to lay cables that had learned how to and done the job, they're retired. When we had a bunch of trees came down and they had to come out and fix it, a guy that came to my house had been retired for three years and they called him up out of retirement to come and do the work because, and he was traveling, he had stopped here and then he was going to Alabama and then he was like, he was going all over the place as a retiree because they did not have the skills for that, right? HVAC, plumbing, electricians, all of that stuff, they just don't truck have the drivers. Yes, yeah. truck drivers, <laughs> people that repair airplanes, 
You know, one yeah. of my friends, he said he never went to college. He just went straight from high school to becoming an airplane motor mechanic. And in two years, he came out of that making 50 grand or whatever it was, you know, at that point in time. Right. And so, you know, you can step into really good jobs with specific skills and people just don't even know it. I was mentoring this kid that, you know, he loves to wait tables. He likes serving people. And I said, but are you going to do that? Are you going to do that 10 years from now? Is that what you want to do? Maybe you can find a way to serve people in a different capacity. And I told him about this other lady that after being out of the workforce for a number of years, raising the kids, got divorced and had to get herself back into the game. And she went and in like 18 months, got her certificate to be able to do casts on arms and stuff, got a great job right away when she finished it. And she's helping people that are in pain and need help like this. And she's just got this low, you know what I mean? She's got the, and I go figure out something like that. There's a job for something that will serve, that will fill your emotional need, but also help you as you get older to be able to know you can someday retire and stuff, right? Right. So with the fourth industrial revolution, things are changing so quickly that what that uh, the, the top of the line technology of the day will probably be obsolete in a year or two like our iPhones and all that. Um, but what that means is that maybe by the time you're, four, you're out of school with your four-year degree, that degree is already obsolete. So what a lot of corporate leaders are doing is really leaning on certificate programs because you can finish that in six months or a year. And IBM, um, the, you know, we've traditionally thought of jobs as blue collar or white collar, right? IBM has launched a new model for training called oh. new collar jobs. Really? Which, yes. Which really is more high tech vocational school in a way, because the they the technical knowledge worker is in such high demand, um, and they are constantly having to reinvent the curriculum for them because by the time they even finish the curriculum it's obsolete. So the uh, IBM invented or is uh, spearheading this model called new collar jobs, which really is taking uh, K through 12 students, not through two, even two year degrees or uh, a a four year college university setting, but through various certificate programs that are geared specifically to what IBM needs right then and there. So it's an interesting new model for workforce training, but we have to really take a look at all the different models for workforce training in this ever quickly evolving new economy. Yeah. Um, So do you know, because I know for a while and I would think it would still be there, but there was a tax credits for companies that retrained, brought employees in and retrain yes. them, gave them new skills right, or did there. this kind of stuff. Yes. Yeah, see, so yeah, still there. all kinds of companies could be using that tax credit to identify, you know, a good worker, somebody that's going to, you know, do all the things you want to be as characteristics. And then you give them the skills that are specific to that job. And then a year and a half from now, when there's new skills, you can, you know, re-educate them in a different area and always find a place to put that good, dependable worker to work, helping the company succeed. So there are both state and federal incentives for incumbent worker training is what it's called. Yeah. Um, That practically pays for that training. Um, so, but, you know, the, it goes back to 
you know, the fact that the human capital is so much more important in the new economy, so much so that communities are fighting over workers. They're trying to recruit them with bonuses and bounties. Yes. Um, you know, there are so many communities out there. There are uh, launching programs to recruit population and c- recruit workers. Everything from if you move here, we'll give you two, uh, basically a $2,000 signing bonus. Mm-hmm. Or uh, if you come buy a home in our community, we'll pay the closing costs. Uh, it's a really interesting way in the, in the past old school economic development, we incentivized uh, business locating in a community. We gave businesses incentives. Now we're looking at giving everybody from remote workers to, you know, transplants incentives to come move here because yeah. we recognize that's the human capital that will be important for the future. Yeah. So, and as we um, start to, to wrap up, I do want to uh, touch on the impact of some of the immigration policies of the last couple of years and, yes. you know, the deportation of immigrants as well as the quota limits for who can be immigrated in. And that, I would think, is um, having a real impact in, in, unskilled, in, in the unskilled labor market of the service industry, but also in, in some cases, the higher skill, because we would bring, you know, yes. which might be because within your chart that you're showing here again, the Asian part of the population was stunning how much it participated and I in, in as a percentage of their population. And I wonder if that's because we, um, for so many years, have imported specific tech skills from Asia or from Asia, different Asian countries. And uh, and those, you know, there I know there was a big far, a big fight within the tech industry when some of those quotas got put in place because it was yes. impacting their business. So what That's do you have right. to say about that topic? That's absolutely your spot on, Karen. Um, I, I showed this labor force participation chart again because it breaks down into um, racial groups um, and it shows where Hispanic and Latino labor force participation rate is much higher than the general population, as well as the Asian uh, participation rate. Um, So as our general workforce participation rate slows down and as our population slows down, we really need to look at reforming our immigration policies for creating more legal pathways to immigrate into this country. You know, the American dream was built on economic opportunity. I'm a daughter of immigrants. Uh, You know, my family came here with next to no money, but social mobility is the cornerstone of what makes America great. And as migrants, immigrants come here, the research has shown that very quickly, the next generation or even the children of migrants quickly gain education, participate uh, in the workforce, are thriving members of society. So our biases need to really take back seat to the reality of what our economy needs. And that's more workers and that's more productivity. Um, and, and, and you're correct, you know, when, uh, when you talk about immigration, 
uh, we really do need to look at easing some of the restrictions on those high skilled uh, immigrant that could bring a lot of skill sets with them. Um, and tech companies already realize that they uh, use visas to bring uh, STEM related knowledge workers here to America. Uh, and that's because once again, our educational system, I'm not gonna knock, I, I have the absolute admiration for teachers and educators. They have a tough job because they're everything from, uh, you know, substitute parents to social workers, to educators. They have a really tough job. And they're but, underpaid. Yes, and they're underpaid. But what's happening is that the system is not providing enough support and we're not producing right. enough STEM knowledge workers, people, people that have STEM knowledge and that science, technology, engineering, and math. And other countries are zooming past us in those areas. Yep. So I go back to the issue of, yes, the, uh, the President Biden's initiative to invest $100 billion in education is great, but are we throwing money at an outdated system? Mm-hmm. Yeah, do we really, we really need to come together at, uh, on both sides of the aisle, across all socioeconomic and racial barriers to talk about what's best for this country? How do we move this country forward? How do we reinvent some of these systems that were meant for a different industrial economy to now the fourth industrial revolution and what's needed for the next workforce and the future of our country? Yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. So I think that that's a great way place to wrap up our conversation. Is there anything that you would like to add that you were like, oh, wait, I I meant to say this too? I think we've covered it, Karen. (laughs) Thank you for inviting me on your show. As always, just fascinating and interesting conversations. Uh, There's so many facets to this, uh, you know, and hopefully we'll cover that in some future podcasts. Yes. And so (laughs) thank you again. So Christine Wong Rambo, president and founder of Upsize Marketing Strategies, go to her website, U-P-S-I-Z-E-M-S. So upsizems.com to get more information. And if you're uh, a community listening, if you're a community college listening or uh, a political leader listening, I think you need to give Christine a call and figure out what you can do within your own community to be able to get on the track for this fourth industrial revolution. And for the entrepreneurs and investors that are listening, consider what we have talked about in this when it comes to attracting the right type of worker Please go listen to some of my podcasts about corporate culture and uh, those kinds of environments for creating an environment that that accomplishes your goal and is attractive to work in and be there. You get and you get loyalty from your workers, but also, you know, consider what you do. You know, we didn't really talk about it, but it came out during the pandemic. And I uh, and I just saw something now when they're talking about, you know, the pain of up going to four, fifteen dollars an hour. The average CEO makes a thousand times more than what their injury level worker works and what they make. That's just wrong. Okay. So 
you know, that's a big part of it. And we and we've seen it, too, what's been happening um, with boards and some of the things that the boards are stepping in and the stockholders are stepping in and trying to make the companies be more conscious capitalist organizations that care about their people and care about their impact on the community and the environment. And it's, you know, if you as a CEO of a company aren't aware of this and planning for the future of how you're going to keep, retain, and attract and train qualified workers, then you're on a course to not be here five to 10 years from now. And so, and that's to also to those investors that are investing in those companies. So I wanted to um, encourage you to reflect on what we have talked about today, assess your business strategy and plan going forward and incorporate this information because I did a, another economic talk a few weeks back and he talked about all of the trends of what you can see as the um, baby boomers go through and the impact that it has on all the other different aspects of our economy. And so that, you know, ties together on all of that. And please, as always, like the show, share it, tell people about it, help us promote this idea of compassionate capitalism. And uh, please visit KarenRands.co and, uh, you know, check out what we do on the blog pages, all the different podcasts, and you can uh, sign up for our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Breaks as the, there are two-minute videos for entrepreneurs to, um, and investors to understand how to create wealth through entrepreneurism, successful entrepreneurism. So again, thank you again, Christine. It was really you, delightful Karen. talking with you, getting to know you and looking forward to, you know, maybe we'll get out there and, and shake up some economic communities and get some economic stimulus going by, by firing up their brains on new ways to approach some of these problems. So with that, onwards and upwards, everybody.